All right, good morning. It's great to see everybody uh, again today. Um, what a gift to be able to worship the Lord Jesus together. I love learning new songs too. So uh, thank you to Ryan and Chase for just giving us that gift, um, another song to praise our risen Lord and Savior with. So uh, praise God and give thanks for that. Uh, this morning, we're going to continue in our series uh, that we've been working through uh, over the summer. And, I'm sorry, over the fall. And uh, we've called it God's Very Heart. Uh, it's called God's Very Heart. And really what we're after is we're, we're looking to allow our hearts to come near to God's very heart and let his heart shape and heal and restore and give life to our hearts. And so this morning, we're going to continue in that. Uh, I want to encourage you, if you've got a Bible, go ahead and open it to Hebrews chapter 4. If you don't, you can grab one of those Bibles in the seat back near you. Uh, if you use one of those black Bibles in the seat, uh, it's page 1002 uh, is where Hebrews chapter 4 begins. And so we're going to take a look at that and get a glimpse, another glimpse into God's heart this morning. I want to start just by sharing a, um, a, a story about when I was uh, 16 years old. <laughs> so I had just gotten my license. I know, scary. And, um, and you have no idea how scary it was. I'm about to tell you how scary it was. I got my license, and uh, it was a few days after I got my license, I think, and my parents were going out for the evening. And they, they came to me, and they said, Son, promise us. You will not leave the house or drive your car anywhere while we're gone. And I, being a dutiful 16-year-old son, looked them in the eye and said, of course, I promise I will not drive my car anywhere while you are gone. I think it took about three minutes after they were gone that I grabbed my keys and jumped in my car and took off. Uh, and I went for just to drive. I was just excited about driving my car. So I'm speeding through this nearby neighborhood. And as I'm speeding through the neighborhood, this car begins to follow me through the neighborhood. And it was like this kind of beat up old Honda. I could see it was kind of this middle-aged guy driving it. And so I, I was like, all right, what, what, what should I do? Uh, this guy's following me. He's creeping me out. I got it. I'll, I'll speed. I'll fly as fast as I can to get away from him. So I sped away. He followed me. I ran a red light. He followed me. I weaved in and out of traffic. He was right on my tail. So I was freaking out at this point. I drove to the nearby mall with my brilliant thought being, oh, I'll go there because it's public and safe and this creep can't do anything to me in a big public space with lots of people. I pull into the mall parking lot. Three police cars with sirens and lights going surround me cut me off in the parking lot. This guy pulls up behind me. They all come out, guns, calling out to me, exit the vehicle with your hands in the air, put me in handcuffs, sit me in the back of a squad car, and I sat there for about 20 minutes trying not to wet my pants. <laughs> and it turns out, long story short, this guy was an undercover narcotics officer that had been following me. I'd run through a sting operation, and I bore some resemblance to the drug dealer he was trying to catch. He took my uh, brilliant but evasive car driving to be a sign that I was indeed guilty, and he had the right guy. He called up backup. They surrounded me, arrested me. So basically, once he figured out that I wasn't who he thought I was, he was really, really mad because I'd ruined his sting. He took me to the front of one of the squad cars. He yelled at me for about 15 minutes, wrote me three tickets, reckless driving, speeding, and running a red light. And so they let me go, and I went home and waited for what felt like eternity for my parents to show up so that I could say, hey, mom and dad, 
remember how you said not to drive? I actually did, and I got three tickets. Uh, and so fast forward three months or so, and my dad and I went down to the county courthouse. And um, my dad had decided we were not going to get an attorney. I was going to have to stand in front of the judge and take full responsibility for everything I had done and explain what had happened. And so I did that. Uh, and I'll never forget this. This is, this is one of the most powerful pictures of mercy that I have ever experienced in my life. The judge decided that he was going to give me a prayer for judgment. Now, I'm from North Carolina. Prayer for judgment, I don't think they have that here. Um, but in North Carolina, prayer for judgment basically means you uh, admit you're guilty. And uh, in the mercy of the court, they decide it will not count against your record. Now, there's a caveat, as long as you don't get another ticket within like two or three years. But the point is, they say, hey, acknowledge your guilt, and it will not be counted against you, right? And so when I think of mercy, I think of that prayer for judgment moment, standing before that judge, acknowledge your guilt, but it's not going to be counted against you. And I think, in some ways, the mercy of God is a lot like that prayer for judgment, it's this act of undeserved kindness. Maybe you've heard it said this way, mercy is not getting what you deserve and grace is getting what you don't deserve. And I think that's true. I think that's helpful. Um, in the Bible, uh, that mercy and grace that go together can be expressed in all kinds of ways. God's forgiveness, uh, his deliverance, his healing in our lives, his provision for us. But I also think that God goes way beyond that phrase, um, that shorthand for mercy. Uh, and I think it offers a much deeper and richer understanding of what mercy truly is. And to grasp God's mercy, I think what we want to understand is what actually moves him to mercy. Not just his acts of mercy, actually moves his heart to mercy. To say it another way, what is at the heart of God's actual mercy? Moses said in Deuteronomy 4, 30 and 31, he said, the Lord your God is a merciful God. The Lord your God is a merciful God. He is mercy, in other words. Mercy isn't just something that he does or that he decides to do. It's who he is. God is mercy. He shows mercy, in other words, because it's who he is. It just overflows out of his heart. But again, what makes this heart overflow with mercy? What, what, what kind of moves in his heart that leads him to be merciful towards us? So that's why I want us to look at Hebrews chapter four, these incredible verses that Mike just read. I, if you haven't opened it, again, I want to encourage you to open it. We're not gonna go through it verse by verse this morning, but I just want you to have it open so you can see what God's word says about Jesus as we place our hearts before his merciful heart. And if we've said this before, Man, if we want a better sense, a glimpse into God's heart, there's no better place than to look than to look at Jesus. And so we're gonna look at Jesus and see what we can learn about his heart. And specifically this morning, what I want us to do is look uh, at Jesus' role as our high priest and how that helps us understand his heart. So uh, you don't have to flip there, but back before Hebrews 4, in Hebrews chapter 2, verse 17, we're told that Jesus isn't just our high priest, we're actually told that he is our merciful high priest. 
He's our merciful high priest. So it just clues us in. There's something going on in the motive of Jesus as the high priest that connects with mercy. And so then when we get to chapter four, verse 14, and we read these verses, right? Since we have a great high priest, that's Jesus again, and connecting with verse 16, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. So apparently, what I just want us to see here is apparently there's some connection, right, between this idea that Jesus is a high priest, and we're going to get to what does that mean, and this idea of mercy. It's got something to do with God's mercy. Now, this idea of high priest, it's foreign to most of us, right? This is not something we just encounter naturally in our culture. It's not an office that any of us have grown up with. It's foreign to us. But the first readers of Hebrews, uh, this would have been incredibly familiar, this would have been loaded with all kinds of meaning. And so I just, just to, if I could just give you a sentence, right? Like there was so much you could dive into on what is the high priest and the role of the high priest. But if we could just sum it up in a sentence, this is what I would say. The high priest was the man appointed to stand before God in the tabernacle or in the temple on behalf of Israel to offer sacrifices to cleanse God's people from sin. Right, if you just had to sum it up in a, in a simple statement, let me say that again. The high priest was the man who was appointed to stand before God in the tabernacle and temple on behalf of the people of Israel to offer sacrifices for himself and them to cleanse God's people from their sin. Okay, and so, so that's what the high priest does. And then Jesus is called the great high priest. Okay, so Jesus in his role is gonna reveal something uh, about God's great heart of mercy through this role of the high priest. And so I think it highlights two things. So we're gonna unpack this role of high priest more and we're gonna look more into Jesus' heart. But I think it's gonna show us two things and this is what I want us to focus on. First, it's gonna show us God's mercy arises out of God's compassion. There's something that stirs in God's heart when it comes to his compassion that leads to the mercy. God's mercy arises out of compassion and then second, God's mercy arises out of his deep desire to draw us near. God's heart is he, he wants to draw us near. He wants to be with you. Right? He wants to be with us, his people. So let's look at each of these. First, God's mercy arises out of his compassion. You know, there's something incredibly powerful, right? When you're, you're going through something really difficult and you can connect, right, with someone who's been through that same thing. Isn't there? I mean, when you're going through something and you can talk to somebody who understands you and understands what you're going through because they have been in it. Not just sympathy, but empathy. They, they, they understand you at that level. So someone who can say, oh, I, I've walked that road. Right? I have felt that pain. Not just pain, that pain. Someone who can say, I faced that struggle. Someone who can say, I, I, I know what you're going through, and you don't say, no, you don't, because you know they have. They have been through it, right? There's something really powerful. In other words, compassion, compassion is born out of, of that deep understanding, that deep kind of connection with the other. This is exactly what the writer of Hebrews is trying to tell us when he says Jesus is the high priest, as the high priest, Jesus stands before God on my behalf, on your behalf, and he stands in that place as one who loves you and understands you. He understands, he knows what it feels like to be you. 
don't know if you've ever thought about that. Jesus knows what it feels like to be you. The writer of Hebrews is adamant about that, hammers on that truth. Listen to what he says. So just to highlight a couple of spots. Verse 15 in chapter 4. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who is in every aspect has been tempted as we are yet is without sin. Chapter 5, verse 2. Jesus, our high priest, can deal with the ignorant and wayward. Why? Because he himself is beset with weakness. Chapter 2, 17 and 18. Therefore, he had to be made like his brothers, his family, his brothers and sisters in every respect so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. This is meant to comfort us. These are words of comfort, right? These are words of comfort because Jesus has become like us, right? He's become like us. He suffered like us. He's even been tempted like us. It's hard for me to get my head around, if I'm honest. Jesus was tempted like me, but that's what God's word says. And it's because God's mercy arises out of his compassion. So think about this. God did not come as an angel, right? He did not come as an angel because he didn't come to save angels. He came as a human because he came to save humans, right? The incarnation and becoming a human meant experiencing all that we experience. Hebrews says that Jesus has been tempted in every respect as we are, that he's been beset with weakness, that he's been made like us in every respect. We take God's word to be true. He was like us. He knows. He knows what it feels like to face the enticement of sin. He knows what it feels like to want to choose your own way or to choose the world's way instead of God's way. He knows the suffering that comes with temptation. The idea of Jesus being tempted, again, it's, it's hard to get your head around. It's hard to get your head around. Jesus was perfect. He never sinned, and yet he was tempted. I think oftentimes I, I'm prone to thinking, well, the more perfect a person is, the less tempted they are, right? And the testimony of Hebrews is, nope, that's not how that works. That's not how it works. Listen to what C.S. Lewis said in Mere Christianity about Jesus and temptation. He said, a silly idea is current that good people do not know what temptation really means. This is an obvious lie. Only those who try to resist temptation know how strong it is. After all, you find out the strength of the German army by fighting against it not by giving in to it. You find out the strength of the wind by walking against it, not by lying down. A man who gives in to temptation after five minutes simply does not know what it would have been like an hour later. We never find out the strength of the evil impulses inside us until we try to fight it. And Christ, because he was the only man who never yielded to temptation, is the only man who knows fully what temptation means. Because Jesus himself, Hebrews tells us, has suffered when tempted. He is able to help those who are being tempted, to help us. 
Jesus not only knows what it means to be tempted like us, he also, it says, knows our weaknesses. He's experienced our weaknesses, our needs, our longings. Sometimes I think we can focus so much on Jesus' divinity, and we don't want to let go of his divinity, but we, we focus so much on his divinity, it can come at the cost of his humanity. And here Hebrews wants to emphasize, Jesus knew, he knew what it meant to be human. He knew what it meant to be hungry and thirsty. He knew what it meant to be tired. He knows what it means to be astonished by beauty. He knows what it means to be heartbroken by betrayal. He knows what it means to be distraught by pain, overwhelmed by the future, lived by faith and not by sight. He depended on God's word to understand his life. All of that, all of that was true of Jesus. I love those glimpses into his humanity. He worried about his mama. <laughs> At the cross, he was worried about his mom. He felt heartache. He missed home. He missed his heavenly father. Jesus was fully God and fully man. So Jesus' incarnation and his experience of our humanity, our temptation, our weakness, in all of that, what Hebrews is telling us, there's something that helps us understand God's mercy. There's something in all of that that helps us understand God's merciful heart, that it's connected with his compassion. Compassion, his with usness, and our temptation and our suffering. So let me just encourage you. Here's, here's what that means. Right now, like in this moment, right now, in this moment, you can pray to the God who knows exactly what you are feeling this morning. God, I don't want to be here. Struggling to find intimacy. I, I, I'm searching, I'm longing, I don't feel you, Father. Jesus knows that prayer. Right? Jesus knows the feelings that you're gonna have at any moment. He's faced all of it, all of our weakness, all of our infirmity, all, all that we experience as human beings, he has faced it. Lord, you have been where I am. You know what I'm going through right now. And this is what he says in that prayer. He hears our prayer and Jesus says, yes. I hear that prayer, and I understand that prayer. And he understands it because he went through it. He's been where we have been in our suffering and our weakness and our temptation. So first, his mercy overflows from his compassion. Second, God's mercy flows from his desire to draw us to himself, draw us near. In the Old Testament, we're told that when Aaron, the high priest, when he suited up, for his high priestly duties. Um, one of the last things that he would put on himself was called the breastplate, or the breast piece. And what it was, it was a square, a golden square, and on it there were mounted 12 uh, stones. And on each of those stones, etched in that stone, was the name of one of the 12 tribes of Israel. And this is uh, explained in Exodus chapter 28. So just listen to what, how, how it describes what's on Aaron's chest as the high priest. So Aaron shall bear the names of the sons of Israel in the breastpiece of judgment. And catch this, not just on his chest, what does it say? On his heart. He bears the names on his heart when he goes into the holy place, into the presence of God, to bring them to regular remembrance before the Lord. So when the priest goes to offer the sacrifice, remember, he represents the people of God and through the sacrifice of God's people, they are made right with him. 
And their guilt is acknowledged, but their offense, again, is not counted against them. When he brings their names before the Lord, right, that's what's happening. It's like, it's like the prayer for judgment that I received in court that day. It's a sense of God's mercy. But it was also more than that. It was also about reconnecting with God. It's not just this transactional reality, right? It, it, was, it was relational. And it's hard that the priest duties are relationship. It's about relationship. It's about making a way for God and his people to become, to be together. An own holy people and a holy God. How, how does that happen? The priest would come and offer sacrifice for the people's sins to make them able to come into presence, into relationship with God. Why? Why? Because God wants to be with his people. He wants to be with his people, to be close with them, to, to, to love them and for them to know his love for them. He wants to draw them to himself. So when Hebrews then tells us that Jesus is the true and greater high priest, that he is our high priest, he's the one offering the true and ultimate sacrifice himself on the cross for our sins, that he's making the way for all people to be in relationship with a holy God. That's what he's doing. He, he's fulfilling what picture we saw in the Old Testament, he's fulfilling that perfectly and completely, not just for Israel, but for all people who would come into faith in Jesus. And so like Aaron, so just picture this, Jesus, this is what Jesus, we're told Jesus intercedes for us at the right hand of the Father. This is Jesus, the high priest, is wearing a breastplate on his chest. And it's not just 12 names. It's every name. It's your name, and it's my name are on his chest as he enters into the presence of God the Father. Because we're his church. We're his beloved. We're his children. Your name and my name are written on his heart as he comes into the presence of God. He brings us with him. He brings us near to the Father. So God's mercy flows from this deep desire he has to draw us near. So just think about that. Think about that for yourself, for your own life. God, God, the God of the universe, wants to be close to you. He wants to be close to you. The real you, the good and the bad, the beautiful and the broken, the sinful you, the forgiven you, that's the you he loves. All of you, the whole you. You know what happens? You know what happens when, when we come into the presence of a holy God? You know what our, 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 our gut reaction is? this. Push him away, right? It's not, oh yeah, you know? No, it's push, it's, it's, we want to push him away. We want to take cover when we encounter a whole God. We want to hide, we want to run, just like Adam and Eve did in Genesis 3, right? Cover up. We can't handle being with the holy God, right? In fact, most of the time, we'd rather avoid it. In fact, I think a lot of times, we do avoid it. We avoid intimacy with the Lord. Why? Because it's scary. It's scary, being in the presence of a holy God. It's like, it, it, it can feel like, it's not really like this, but it can feel this way. It can feel like you've been thrown onto a stage and the spotlight is on you in front of the crowd and you are naked, totally naked. It's terrifying. But here's the beautiful thing about the gospel. In that moment, because that's the world we live in, in that moment, God doesn't laugh at you. 
He doesn't mock you. He doesn't criticize you. The truth is, God comes alongside you and he covers you with his mercy. And he picks you up. And he tells you that he loves you. That's what the God of all mercy does when he encounters us. He knows it scares us, but he wants to draw us close. That's the desire of his heart. So maybe this morning you're looking at your life and you're wondering, where is God's mercy? I'm not feeling God's mercy. I'm not experiencing his mercy. I feel exposed. I feel vulnerable. Things aren't going well. I'm, I'm having a lot of pain. Maybe you feel afraid. Maybe you feel unsafe. Maybe you feel betrayed. Just alone. You do not see God's mercy in your life. And so I want to encourage you. I want to encourage you. Sometimes in our lives, we see and feel God's mercy. Praise God. Sometimes we do. But the ultimate evidence of God's mercy is not our experience. It is not in our experience. It's in Jesus. It's in him. It's in remembering that you have a great high priest who is able to sympathize with your weakness. A Jesus who knows you and knows what you're feeling, who's gone through the deepest of your pain and can say to you, I see you and I understand and I am with you. Even there, I am with you because I love you. And one day, I will overcome this too. And one day, I will deliver you from this. And the question is, will we believe? Will we believe that? It's true. Believe it. That's his mercy. So maybe you need to hear that this morning. Just remember, it's Jesus trusting in him. Maybe this morning, you are feeling like your sin is too great for God's mercy. Maybe you're carrying a lot of guilt, a lot of shame. You feel like you've totally blown it. It's too late for you when it comes to God's mercy. I want to encourage you. God's mercy is inexhaustible. It's who he is, remember? He is the God of mercy. By definition, you can't earn it, which means by definition, you can't lose it. It's not about you, what you have done, what you haven't done. So just stop. Just stop trying. Stop trying. Realize there is nothing you can do that will cause God to turn away from you. I just want to say that one more time. There is nothing you can do, nothing you have ever done that can cause God to turn away from you. He is mercy. Because of Jesus Christ and his atoning sacrifice, your sin never moves God from you. It draws him to you. God is merciful and he loves you. That's his heart. Mercy for you and me. So mercy arises out of God's compassion. Mercy arises out of his deep desire to draw us near. I wanna just enter into a time of prayer just to give us some space to reflect on those two realities. And, and I just would add this. Our world desperately needs to know God's mercy right now. Our world is so marked by fear and by guilt and by shame. And God's mercy is what motivates his heart. It's what motivates 
the, the hearts of his people. And so we need to give testimony of the mercy of God. We need to be living, breathing examples of that testimony, of, the, of that mercy. So I just want to encourage us to really ask the Lord to help us receive his mercy and become people of mercy. So let's do that together. Heavenly Father, you, you tell us in your word, Jesus, you said it in Luke 6, that we are called to be merciful even as God our Father is merciful. And that's our, our desire, Lord. And where it's not our desire, would you make it our desire? Lord, that above all, first and foremost, we ourselves would experience your mercy, know your mercy, believe in your mercy. We have a high priest who can sympathize, who knows what it's like to be us, who has faced every temptation, every weakness. And because of that, Lord, your compassion is powerful in our lives. Help us believe in your mercy. Help us to trust in your mercy. Help us to be a people of mercy.